You can open up your, your copy of God's Holy and Perfect Word and open up to the book of Ruth, the book of Ruth, chapter 2. You can find Ruth um, probably in the first third of your Bible in the Old Testament. Uh, if you uh, see Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, and then when you see Judges, it's the next book after that. If you see First or Second Samuel, you've gone too far, and so it's it's wedged between Judges and uh, and First Samuel, and we are in in uh, chapter two. Um, you might see in your bulletin that uh, uh, I, I, I changed not only the, the, the text that I was going to look at, but also the title. And you might think that that's sort of a, a strange uh, change because the original uh, title was Faith That Moves Mountains. And I changed it to say God of the Ordinary. Um, which might seem like a strange change, but as we go through this morning, I think we're going to see how the God of the ordinary moves mountains. And so we're going to look at that, uh, look at that this morning. So Ruth chapter 2, verses 1 through 9, uh, we're going to, again, as we have in the last few weeks, we're going to read the text together. It'll be on the screen. If you're in the ESV, you can read along with that. Uh, but here's our text for this morning. Let's read it together. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him, in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man, who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter. Do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for giving us this, this word. Your word is truth. Your word is perfect. And so, Father, we want to ask that you uh, would show us what it means to have uh, faith, uh, in you, in the ordinary workings of our days, faith 
uh, that though ordinary, still moves the mountains in our lives, Lord. Uh, may the meditation of my heart and the, the words of my mouth be pleasing to you, O oh Lord, our rock, our redeemer, our glory, and the one that we look to. And it's in Jesus' name that we ask this. Amen. Well, a number of years ago, Julie was, uh, was driving from the town that we lived in toward uh, Omaha, and uh, she was going towards a Bible study, and as she was making her way, a, a gravel truck uh, was, in, was in front of her, and it wasn't long before uh, the gravel tr- truck took sort of a bump, and a loose rock came flying out from the top of the truck and landed uh, on our windshield. It made, at first, just, just a little nick, and, and if you've ever had something like that happen, Happen, you hope that it just stays as, as that little nick, perhaps that little, uh, the little blemish that you're going to have on, on the windshield. But uh, even though it didn't at the time seem to do that much damage, uh, very quickly that crack started to grow and it started to grow even more and even more. And it got to the point where we had to uh, go and have the entire windshield replaced And life can often feel like that, that we're driving safely on the road of life and all of a sudden life will will chuck what seems like even just a small little pebble and will hit the windshield of our our lives. And though it might not seem like a big deal at the time, uh, as time uh, progresses, uh, those cracks of life tend to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And soon enough, it grows into something that you you didn't want, something that you didn't expect, something that you didn't have in the budget for, and something that you certainly didn't want to to have to pay for, and yet you need some sort of help in order to, to get you out. For one woman in our story, uh, one little crack seemed to expand into a disastrous situation and a very bleak future. The, the windshield for Naomi started to crack when a famine in her homeland of Bethlehem uh, came. Uh, the, the windshield started to expand when her husband Elimelech made the decision to leave God's promised land, the land of promise to them, and go to a land that he was forbidden to go to. That crack started to expand more and more and get bigger when Elimelech passed away. The crack tended to grow even more and more prominent when her two sons married foreign wives, which were uh, totally against what God had asked his people to do. And the windshield had completely shattered shortly thereafter when both of her sons had died and she was left absolutely hopeless. What do we do when the windshield of our lives has become so shattered that we don't know how to go any further in life? And and not only that, but what do we do when we feel like we can't get to where God is calling us to go or be who God is calling us to be? What do we do when life throws such a rock at us that we are forced to pull over and either be left shell-shocked trying to figure out what to do next or we are trying to figure out what to do in the immediate, uh, the immediate moment. For Naomi, her life seemed broken beyond all uh, repair. She is completely damaged. She is bitter. She is depressed. And now that she is back home in Bethlehem, she shows absolutely no indication of either having a plan or even caring 
about what happens next. But she wasn't alone. She was with her daughter-in-law, Ruth, who was also driving with a shattered windshield, for it was her husband that had passed away. But unlike Naomi, Ruth would refuse to pull over. She refused to give in to the hopelessness and the despair that her mother-in-law was living in. She instead chose to live by faith and by love. And Ruth shows us then how we ought to live life when we have a broken windshield. And as she peers through the cracks on her journey in faith, she sees the solution as not simply just waiting for a miracle, but resting herself in the God who works in the ordinary things of life. When our world comes crashing down on us, we must make like Ruth, and we must trust in a God who works for our good in the normal, mundane things of life. And when we practice such faith, and when we pay attention to what she does and how she does, does it, we'll see also what Jesus has to do with all of this. So what do we do when we're looking through a cracked windshield of life? The first thing that we need to do is that we need to strive for a faith that takes action. Strive for a faith that takes action. If you're following along on your uh, points on your paper there, we're only going to have two points this morning. We're only going to go to verse 9. We'll we'll, we'll save uh, 10, uh, I think, through the rest of the chapter for next week. But for today, we're looking at uh, striving for a faith that takes action. You know, more often than not, God calls us to obedience in the very simple things of our of our days faith that moves mountains is a faith that takes uh, that takes action in the very mundane things that we are experiencing look with me in verse 2 and Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor and she said to her go my daughter so she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. Now, many scholars liken the book of Ruth to a very well-written drama that is written in in four different acts. Uh, In the last three weeks, we have gone through act one, which is chapter one, and chapter two now begins the second act. And in the second act, the story shifts from Naomi, which was the central figure in Act 1, and now shifts uh, to, to Ruth and her faith and how she is going to help uh, her and Naomi get through this situation of bitterness and anger that, that Naomi has created for herself. Our story takes place um, soon after they enter Bethlehem. We have no idea where they're staying. We don't know where their house is. We assume that it's the former property that Elimelech once owned. And, and though they're back home, it's not as if their situation has changed at all. They still need to eat. And they are hungry. And as for Naomi, she is so debilitated in her depression that she isn't able at this moment to do anything about it. But here it is again that we see God's grace coming to Naomi. And maybe you've experienced God's grace in the same way that Naomi uh, does here. Have you ever had it where life is is so difficult that you're so numbed to your situation uh, or even that life is so difficult that uh, it's hard for you to even feel like you can have faith 
Like, life is so difficult. How, how can I even have faith? Times in which you're so depressed, you're so anxious, you're so fearful, and you're just so done with everything, but yet God shows his grace to you through the faith of someone else. That's exactly what's going on here. Ruth loves Naomi, and she's pledged her loyalty to her. And what's most important here is is what Ruth is not doing. Notice that Ruth is not getting down on Naomi. She's, she's not saying, yeah, I know you have it tough, but why don't you get up off the couch and get a job? She's not saying that at all. She is loving Naomi where she is at, and, she, and, and she's also not letting Naomi's bitterness get the best of her. It is really hard to be around uh, people who are constantly negative and bitter. You can either get, get, get sucked into their bitterness and take it on uh, yourself, or you can rise above it and you can love them for who they are and seek ways in which you can be helpful and loving. Notice that, that Ruth here does not get uh, pulled into the vacuum of, of bitterness and sit around and sulk. Rather, in her faith in God and her love for Naomi, she seeks an opportunity. Now, it's helpful for, at this point to remind ourselves of what's going on here, that this is related to uh, the last verse in chapter, in chapter 1. Uh, let's look at that verse again. It says, So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. So Ruth here recognizes that somehow in God's providence, she and Naomi arrive at the exact opportune time for poor people in Israel, uh, such as her and Naomi are experiencing. Um, Ruth is, uh, is a Moabite, but no doubt her deceased husband, as well as Naomi, had probably versed her in the ways of Yahweh, uh, Israel's God, and his love for the foreigner, and his love for those who were, were poor. Ruth may have been uh, very familiar with Leviticus chapters 19, 23, and Deuteronomy chapter 24, in which God told his people that when the harvest comes, they had to leave the corners of their fields alone. And further, as they were going and, and reaping their, their harvest, what they would typically do is in one hand they would grab the wheat and they would take the sickle and they would chop it off with their right hand. And if they happened to drop any of uh, the wheat or the barley that they had, they could not pick it up because God had made the provision for those who were poor, those who were orphans, those who were widows, were to go in those fields and pick up those things that had, had, been, had been dropped um, so that the poor would be, would be taken care of. And, and as a side note here, we ought to see God's love for the poor and God's love for the foreigner here. 
So many times in, in Christian circles, we have this attitude that people just need to, need to make sure that they're providing for themselves. They need to get a job. They need to do this. They need to do that. Where God himself cares very, very deeply about the welfare of the poor. And he cares very, very deeply for the foreigner that comes into his land too. That's just a side note. That's just a freebie for this morning. But we ought to make like God and care for those that often aren't cared for in our country and in our, in our communities who desperately need the love of of Christ. But knowing this then, Ruth looks back. She looks back at the incapacitated Naomi. She looks out to the windows of the fields of Bethlehem, and she decides to take a leap of faith. And notice this leap of faith here is for something very, very ordinary. She's basically just going to the grocery store. She's going to get food for her and Naomi. But not before she shows off a bit of her noble character. Uh, notice here that, that uh, Ruth knows that to leave the house and go and glean in these fields here, she'll be exercising very, very risky faith, even though it's a very normal thing. She knew that she lived in a very dangerous, very uh, dark time in, in Israel's uh, history, and it was very dangerous for single women to be walking around without a protector. It was equally dangerous, well, not even equally, but it was more so dangerous for a foreign single woman to be walking around trying to find uh, food in fields. There were wild young men that, uh, that would often uh, do things that, that were harmful and hurtful, and you can fill in the details in there. Um, and the fact that she was a foreigner during a time in which racism ran very, very high in Israel, she is equally targeted to be hurt. And so she very appropriately asks Naomi to let her go to the fields and gleam, almost as if she's asking Naomi, is this a good idea? Is this something that I can, that I can do? And, but notice in verse 2, she won't even settle for any old field. It's her desire to go to a field in which she would be welcomed. The Israelites were required to leave this uh, grain and this harvest on the ground. But Ruth wants to go beyond that. She wants to go to a field in which she's accepted. She wants to go to a field in which she's welcomed. It was an awfully big gamble to just go blindly out into a field and start picking up crops and just hoping that the farmer would, uh, would accept her. And Naomi doesn't help much here, by the way. Remember, Naomi's a local. Naomi knows these people. She knows who's around. She knows the names. She knows the neighbors. But notice what Naomi doesn't do. She doesn't say, hey, there's this really good guy that's a, that's a, you know, a cousin or an uncle or whatever it is or contemporary family member of, of, uh, of Elimelech. Why don't you go find his field? She just goes, okay, yeah, you have my permission. Why don't you just go find a field? She doesn't even care enough to give Ruth any instruction. She just says, just go, my daughter. And, and go, she does. Ruth supplies for us an example of what faith looks like. Faith is always an action. Yet some of us are like Naomi's in our faith. We sit around and we wait for God. We desire God to, to work in our lives, and we assume that God's will for us is just going to somehow drop in our laps. Let's be honest with ourselves for just a moment. Many of us want a faith 
that involves very little commitment with very big results. We want to do the least amount of work possible and have the most amount of return come back. We want to see God do big things in our lives. We want to see God do big things in our families, in our world, and in our church. But we aren't willing to put in the blood, sweat, and tears in faith to see that work happen. We want personal revival, but not at the cost of putting in the work. We want our children to know the Lord, but not if it interferes with their sports. We want our our neighbors and our community to know Jesus, but not if we actually have to get to know them. Not if we actually have to invite them over to our house be hospitable to them. We want a faith that involves little commitment and big results. But here's the thing. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. God, more often than not, works through people who have a high amount of commitment with often very small amounts of measurable progress. He is looking for people who are faithful in the little things, day in and day out. See, we want those those big, miraculous events that we see in the Bible. But here's, here's a little secret from Bible study. Those miracles that you see in the Bible are very, very rare. They don't happen very often. More often than not, God is working through willing people who are sold out to him, but understand that he is providentially working through the ordinary means of life. Faith that moves mountains, and this is why I changed the message title, is often faith that sees mountains moving little by little, inch by inch. Any of you kids growing up in church remember that song? Okay, there's some heads nodding there. It's a great song to to remind ourselves. And so none of that can happen if we don't get off the couch and exercise faith. Now, for Ruth, there's nothing more ordinary than going out and getting food for survival. Uh, But yet, even in this, she is exercising faith. She goes out, she finds a field, meets the foreman of the field, and notice she just doesn't start getting to work. She shows her character because she asks the foreman to do it. In verse 6, Boaz shows up and he asks his foreman who who this woman, um, it's interesting, the the, the ESV in in verse 7, it says, um, uh, who is... um, Oh, where is it here? In, uh, in verse 6. Um, who is this Moabite woman? Literally, Moab, uh, Boaz is asking, who does this woman belong to? Because that is how they understood. Who does this woman belong to? Where does she come from? And in verse 7, the foreman responds. He says that she is the young Moabite woman. And, and, and notice here that there's somewhat of, of racist overtones here that are going on. Well, she's that that young Moabite woman over there. She's that Moabite that's been around the town that you've heard of Moabite coming to our field here. And um, notice that Boaz just responds in complete kindness to the overt stuff that the foreman is spewing out here. Um, but, uh, and so he explains, and he said, she said, please let me glean 
uh, and gather among the sheaves and the reapers. And so she came from early morning until now, except for a short rest. So in the foreman's report, we learned about Ruth's character here. And perhaps we would all do well to emulate Ruth's character here. Notice that she is assertive. She's shrewd, which, by the way, is not necessarily a bad character trait to have. Uh, she's wise. She's bold. But get this. She is remarkably kind and polite. She's stepping out in faith. She's putting it all on the line in very normal, ordinary ways. She has a faith with huge commitments, a big uh, chance of risk, and she's exercising faith to survive. Friends, God, God is calling you to reap the sheaves. He is calling you out into the field, and I don't know what that looks like for you. Maybe for you, it's simply coming to church more. That you've had a sporadic coming here and there, and you need to come and hear God's word preached. You need to mingle with God's people. Maybe that means that you invite your neighbors over to have supper with you. Maybe it means that you need to think about going on a short-term mission trip. Maybe it means that you lo completely lose yourself in serving other people. These all are ordinary things that God is working in the midst of your life toward. You can't just stand there. You need to do something. God is calling you off the couch of complacency and into a life of faith that might be risky and at times difficult, but the good thing is, is that God is on the road of the ordinary and we simply just need to meet him there. And so... Uh, not only do we need to strive for a faith that is active, but conversely, point number two, we need to strive for a faith that rests. We need to strive for a faith that rests. So if our first point can be summed up as saying, don't just stand there and do something, our second point turns that completely backwards and says, don't just do something, stand there. To be sure, Ruth was working on her own volition. She was doing what, what was necessary in order to provide for her and Naomi. But embedded in the story and really in the entire book of Ruth, and I would argue from Genesis on to Revelation, is the idea that God is sovereignly and providentially working in the background of our lives and all of our situations to bring about his good purpose and his pleasure. In, these, in verses 3 and 4, the author is making... Uh, obvious observations here about what God was up to in, in Ruth's story. Uh, look with me again in verse 3. It says, So she, uh, so she w set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. So that word happened, I'm going to put those in quotation marks, in, in the Hebrew is sort of a double coincidence. If we were to, to be more literal, it would say something like, as luck would have it, she just happened to fall on the field of Boaz. And the writer in doing this is using um, somewhat of a bit of sarcasm. He's not pointing to the fact here that when Ruth went out of the Bethlehem gates and out into the fields, that, uh, that she just happened by some random occurrence 
to uh, land in Boaz's field. If that were true, here would be portraying God as having very little to do with the affairs of his world and that all of the things that have happened in all of redemptive history, all of history and all of your life have just happened by mere chance and the chips have just fallen into, into place. The author here, though, is in agreement with the authors of the, the rest of the Bible that claim that God is, in fact, intimately involved in not just the big events of history, but involved all the way down to the tiniest and most insignificant events of our lives. And if verse 3 isn't enough to convince us, the author does the same in verse 4, but we wouldn't see it necessarily in the English. Look with me in, in verse 4. It says, and behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. Now, when you're reading scripture and you see the word behold, that word ought to shine out to you because that word behold literally means in our currently current vernacular, check this out. Don't miss this. This is something that you ought to see. And in this case, the author is saying that not only was Ruth providentially guided by God to not only the right place, but also at the right place at the right time. God has brought Ruth to that field to meet Boaz. And what we see in these passages here is nothing more than what uh, Ruth's uh, great great grandson Solomon would write in Proverbs chapter 16 where it says that the heart of man plans his way but the Lord establishes his steps. Now I'm not sure how it works but somehow our coming ins and our going outs uh, even in the most mundane events of our day is somehow being used by God to fulfill his plan for our lives. Abraham Kuyper was a, a Dutch journalist. He was a statesman who uh, owned a newspaper. He was also the, uh, he also started the Free University of Amsterdam uh, and also served as Prime Minister of the Netherlands from 1901 to 1905. But perhaps his, his most important accomplishment was, uh, was founding the Reformed Church of the Netherlands. And he is quoted as saying that there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. And R.C. Sproul follows up with that uh, by saying, if there is one single molecule in this entire universe running around loose, totally free of God's sovereignty, then we have absolutely no guarantee that a single promise of God will ever be fulfilled. Folks, this is a comforting doctrine. God working in the ins and outs of our lives to fulfill his purpose. So what is the point in all of this in regards to our story? We see that God is sovereignly leading Ruth to Boaz's field, and then he uses Boaz to take care of her. Look with me in verse 8. Now listen, my daughter. Do not go and glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field 
that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you're thirsty, go to the vessels and drink uh, what the young men have drawn. So we, we don't have time to go into everything that Boaz is doing to take care of her. But at least we can say that the Lord, whom Ruth has decided to take shelter under, uses Boaz's character, and not his literary character, by the way, his moral character, who he is as a person, to provide for her exclusively and protect her. Uh, ladies, this is uh, single ladies, uh, for those of you um, that would be looking for uh, a spouse one day, Boaz is a good character to, to look for in, in a guy, one who provides for and protects one, uh, one person. This here is a godly man. Um, I'll give you that one for free here. But we see Boaz as a protector and a provider. And as much as Ruth is, is her own woman uh, singing along with Donna Reed that she works hard for the money, uh, she also understands that she is completely dependent on the sovereignty of God working through Boaz in order for her survival. And this is a good lesson for us in faith as well. We must also humble ourselves to know that as much as we act in faith, uh, nothing that we receive is because of the work of our hands. Everything that is given to us is a gift of the sovereign Lord who loves us and who died from us. You may say that your job what you do for a living is because of your skill set or your education. But let me ask you this. Who gave you your skill set? Who gave you the means to be able to provide for that education that you have? How did you meet your spouse? It wasn't mere coincidence. It was probably in the most mundane way. As I met Julie, as I was walking out of choir practice, and she was walking in to her choir practice. You can't have a more mundane, normal uh, set of occurrences, but yet God was working it for our good. How is it that you have been able to continue to breathe this morning? And for some of you to stay awake this morning, um, it would be God's sovereign hand giving you a breath by which you can breathe. The, the book of Colossians tells us that Christ upholds all things, and all things continue to be because of Christ sovereignly keeping it going. If Christ decided to take his hands away from the world and the world would stop spinning even for just a second, every single one of us would be in very, very big trouble. In Acts chapter 17, verse 26, Paul says, And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling. In other words, it is God who has not only, um, has not only uh, determined the span of our days, but it is also God who has determined that you would live in Mora in this very day for his purposes, to do his work. Do you then 
thank God for the little things? Do you thank God for the breakfast that you were able to have this morning? It wasn't your buying power that gave you the power to get those Cheerios. It was the God of the universe that has given you the funds to provide for those things to happen. Have you provided, have you, have you thanked God for the sleep that you had gotten last night, even if it was just a little bit? We need to take time to remember that all things are given by God for his glory and for his good. Have you thanked God for his work, even in the mundane? We must act in faith. We must take initiative. But at the same time, we must rest in the sovereign hands of our creator God, who Ephesians 1 tells us is working out all things according to the counsel of his word. So don't just stand there. Do something. But also don't just do something. You need to stand as well. God is at work, and that is incredibly encouraging to those of us that are hurting and feel that we must be the ones to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and and get our lives together. See, this is what's beautiful about Christianity compared to any other religion that you'll find out there. Because Christianity doesn't say, why don't you go ahead and get yourself together and then come to God. Rather, Christianity says that God is going to come to you and he is going to fix you. That is a God that is worth serving. And God is using our situations, wherever we might find them, for his good purposes, through his son, Jesus Christ. All of our cracked windows in our lives find their joy in Jesus who came with a broken heart and ended with a broken body so that we can have our lives rebuilt little by little through the mundane things of every day. And as we go through this little book, we're going to see more and more about how God loves us and how he's using our stories for his good and for, for his glory and for our good. So act in faith and rest in the Lord. Let's pray together and then we'll go to the Lord in communion. Father, thank you so much for, for your tender words here to Ruth. We thank you, God, that she was a woman of courage. We thank you, God, that she was a woman of stamina. She was a, a woman who was willing to take risks. She was a woman that was facing danger and peril just so that she could go out and have a meal. And so, Father, though many of us here might not be in the same situation of having to take such risks to find a meal, Lord, I pray that you would help us to act in faith in the ordinary, everyday things of life. Lord, I pray that you would help us to take those steps, even if they're baby steps, to follow you. Father, I pray that if there's uh, people here this morning that... that, um, have come to the realization that, yeah, they need to step out in faith, that you would show them the initial first steps to take. And whatever that is for them, Lord, would you give them the courage? Father, perhaps there are some people in this room who, who have never even taken that, that walk of faith. Lord, would you, uh, would you open up their heart, Lord, and would they cry out to Jesus that they need him, that their lives need to be put back together wherever they're at, and that the Lord can provide healing through that, that he can rewrite their stories for his, for his glory and their good. Father, may people receive Jesus this morning, and as we go through this time of communion, would we remember Jesus and what he has done for us? And Lord, it's in Jesus' name that I ask this. Amen. Well, we are at uh, uh, the, the, the first Sunday of the month.
And in our church on the first Sunday of, of the month, we, we practice the Lord's Supper. This is a time when we come together as a body of Christ to remember who Jesus is and what he has done for us. Uh, we come and we have uh, crackers in these little dish in, in these little dishes here, and we have grape juice here in these in these uh, larger dishes here. The crackers are meant to symbolize Jesus's death on our behalf. That we who are sinners who have strayed far away from God have been redeemed by Him and been made new from Him because of Him breaking His body on our behalf on the cross. The juice symbolizes blood the blood that was shed on our behalf so that we can have our sins taken away from us and be made right with God. We don't believe that these magically turn into the body and blood of Jesus Christ. These are simply symbols of what he has done for us. So if you're with us this morning um, and you have received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that you have recognized your sinfulness and that you have trusted in Jesus as your only salvation, you're welcome to the table here. You are welcome to take part in this this morning. And if you're not there yet this morning, if you haven't made Jesus your, your, your Savior, I want to ask that you would allow this to pass over, but that you would look at these elements and see uh, a cracker which is so brittle, easily broken for you, and juice that, that uh, symbolizes the blood that was spilled on your behalf, and realize that at any moment you can still come to the Lord in faith, even as these things are being passed out. Even before you hit your pillow tonight, you can make Jesus yours. Um, and so uh, how we will do this this morning is we've done it uh, for the last several years. We will pass out the crackers in silence. That gives you an opportunity to reflect on your relationship with the Lord. Perhaps you're dealing with some personal sin that you need to repent of. Perhaps you're dealing with some uh, interpersonal conflict that needs to be uh, taken care of. This is the time to reflect on your relationship with the Lord. And so as these are being passed out, those will go out in silence. As the juice gets passed out, it will be uh, passed out to a song to also reflect on the gospel of surrendering our, surrendering our entire lives uh, to him. And then you will hold on to both of those together, and we'll take them uh, together as a body of Christ um, when, when the time is, uh, is called to do that. And so I'm going to ask those of you that are here this morning that are scheduled to serve uh, our body to please come up at this time. And as they are uh, making their way forward, uh, Jesus said on the night that he was betrayed when he instituted the Lord's Supper that he broke bread and, and he gave thanks. And, and let's go to the Lord in thankfulness. Father, we thank you for your grace and mercy. We thank you that you have redeemed us from the curse of sin. We thank you, God, that you loved us so much that even in our worst and darkest moments, you still chose to love us in Christ Jesus. Father, I pray that those of us who may be here living in shame, maybe embarrassment, maybe guilt, uh, would reflect on the cross and know that Jesus uh, bore all of our shame, all of our guilt, all of our feelings of worthlessness, all of our sins upon himself so that we can have joy in him. And Father, I pray for those who might have been walking and, and straying from you that they would return to Christ this morning and see their, their need uh, for him. Would you do that work, God? And would you help us all to glory in the cross and in the love of him, Lord? And it's in Jesus' name that I ask this. Amen.